welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 63, for the week ending Monday, June 27th, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital, and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Lemasugu. Glad you could join me. Coming up in this week's news, Vodafone Egypt announces two major partnerships to deliver mobile money services. Seacom adds new internet exchange points in Uganda, Kenya, and South Africa. And Trace TV acquires Kenyan VOD service Buni TV. I'll also be sharing part of a conversation I had with BT's Managing Director for Sub-Saharan Africa, Oliver Fortain. You might be interested to know that he considers the moving and shaking in the media space as potentially one of the biggest disruptive threats to BT's business overall. Now stick around to hear him talk about that. That's all coming up later. In the meantime, though, remember if you've missed any of our past episodes, you can head to africantechroundup.com to catch up. And do give us a shout on social media because we love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at African Roundup and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. Before we go any further, though, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is offering listeners of the African Tech Roundup a 30-day free trial to put their service to the test. FreshBooks is the easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help you get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster. To find out what all the fuss is about and to try it out for free, head to gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. And now it's on to this week's headlines. First up, the Mobile Money March continues. Now, following Orange announcing that they'll be providing a mobile money transfer service for people living in France, uh, transferring money to Côte d'Ivoire, Mali, and Senegal two weeks ago, Vodafone Egypt has since partnered with Egypt's largest publicly traded lender, the commercial international bank CIB, uh, to provide mobile money services via their Vodafone cash service. And now, as it happens, MasterCard is also in on that particular deal, and Vodafone has changed its operating system to a MasterCard system to allow them to provide mobile payment services via MasterCard's network. Now, this high-profile partnership between Vodafone, MasterCard, and CIB is interesting to me because it might well signal a trend towards the consolidation between big-scale incumbents in the mobile telco space as well as large financial services players. Now, I imagine that such partnerships would go a long way to clearing a host of regulatory hurdles mobile telcos face in certain African markets, you know, the kind of hurdles that would prevent them from competing effectively in financial services. Now, what also seems to be happening is large corporate incumbents uh, seem to be closing ranks and consolidating their dominance to make it that much harder for some feisty startup to emerge and disrupt their business. Look, I'd be doing the same if I were them. We'll be watching to see just how effective their defensive strategies are over time. Another large player that made headlines this past week is Seacom. Now, the undersea cable company has added new internet exchange points in Kampala, Uganda, Nairobi, Kenya, and Durban, South Africa. Basically, three new exchange points to add to its list of peering agreements across the African continent. Now, um, other new access points are the Deutsche Commercial Internet Exchange in Marseille, and the France Internet Exchange in Paris, which have been added to the list of European Internet Exchange points, which, of course, it peers. It's expected that these new peering agreements will further enhance the performance and reduce the latency CECOM clients experience when connecting to web services in Europe and across the continent. Uh, I also have it under good authority that CECOM is wholesaling bandwidth at cheaper rates than it ever has. Um, and now here's to hoping that uh, we as end users start to benefit from significantly lower data costs, uh, as well as improved connection speed and service. 
Next up, while startup competitions are a dime a dozen these days, some do get me more excited than others. And so earlier this year, the South Korean government invited startups from around the world to apply for the K Startup Grand Challenge, uh, which will see 40 startups selected for a three-month accelerator followed by a possible permanent relocation to Korea. Now, here's why I'm excited. Of the 2,439 startups from 124 countries that applied for a place on the program, 357 of these were from 26 African countries. Now, well done, Africa, and good luck to you because applications are currently being assessed and 80 startups will be invited to a boot camp week, which will be held this August. Following that, 20 winning teams will be chosen to remain in Korea for a further six months, and they'll be receiving a financial package to further build their businesses. Great stuff. Look, um, I rate Korea quite highly when it comes to innovation and execution uh, on good ideas. So uh, we'll be looking out for African startups to make it into uh, the list of top 40 and later on the list of top 20. Good luck to you all. To East Africa next, where being a journalist is rather dicey these days. In Kenya, uh, blogger Cyprian Nyakundi is being sued by the National Bank of Kenya over a series of posts that he wrote alleging corruption at the bank. Now, interestingly, it's the Central Bank of Kenya that found the post to be defamatory. Now, you might recall that in March this year, the National Bank of Kenya made an appeal to the governor of the Central Bank of Kenya as well as the cabinet secretary for ICT in Kenya to intervene in cases of online defamation of banks. Now, the poor banks expressed concern that people were spreading malicious and false information about them and other commercial organizations on social media. And this was information that they felt could potentially cause harm to their operations and, and basically harm the Kenyan economy at large. Shame, eh? Now, the central bank is no doubt keen to make an example of Cyprian and probably get other journalists thinking twice before they publish exposés or anything of the like. Now, whether their defamation suit will hold water in court or not remains to be seen, but we'll be keeping a close eye on this for you. Uh, meanwhile, in Tanzania, citizens are discovering that joking about the country's president can land you in hot water. Now, a certain Leonard Mulokozi has been charged with insulting the president on WhatsApp. Uh, this is apparently a contravention of the country's controversial cybercrime law, which holds that publishing information with, quote, intent to defame, threaten, abuse, insult, cause public panic, or encourage criminal offense, end quote, is now a criminal offense in Tanzania. Now, if Mulukozi is found guilty, he stands to face a similar sentence to Isaac Ababuki, who was found guilty of insulting the president via his Facebook page and sentenced to three years in jail earlier this month, as well as fined $3,190. It definitely does seem that if you have strong views about powerful figures in either Tanzania or Kenya, it might be safer just keeping them to yourself. Man... In any case, to South Africa next, where the boundaries of free speech are certainly tested far more vigorously than most other African states. However, it's Lou Klaassen, a Cape Town-based venture capitalist who I want to talk about. Uh, he made a headlines last week when he was appointed executive director of the Bitcoin Foundation, which is the world's largest Bitcoin organization. Now, he's set to take up reins there on July the 1st, 2016. Klaassen has come out saying he's excited to take up the challenge of helping steer one of the oldest and largest industry groups focused on Bitcoin. His focus will primarily be on increasing the adoption and fostering uh, uh, the development of cryptocurrency, as well as encouraging global decision makers to come up with regulatory solutions for Bitcoin related matters. We certainly wish him well.
To Nigeria now, where it seems uh, MTN Nigeria's woes are far from over. This time, MTN Nigeria is being sued by the Copyright Society of Nigeria, COSON. They're being sued for an estimated 56 million US dollars for alleged music copyright infringement. Now, this suit comes after Cosson says that various warnings concerning licensing and the payment of royalties for musical works have been ignored by uh, MTN. Uh, MTN Nigeria reportedly keeps about 60% of the revenue made from caller ringback tunes, uh, leaving about 40% to be paid to record labels and artists at the end of the day. Now, Cosson insists that MTN has been less than integrous in paying royalties due to their artists, and they're determined to see to it that MTN pays up. Now, some months ago, you'll recall that we reported on MTN South Africa fielding similar allegations made by the Composers, Authors, and Publishers Association. Uh, that was back in February, I think. So you, uh-uh. what, what can we say about you, MTN, except that you're making the news week on week these days, and all for the wrong reasons. Yeah, here's to hoping artists get their monies. What can I say? Uh, Now, staying with South African news, uh, one of South Africa's leading public tertiary institutions, the University of the Witwatersstrand, um, a.k.a. Wits University, is surfing the latest e-learning wave by uh, announcing that they'll be releasing a suite of online courses over the next three years to enhance uh, access to higher education in the country and indeed around the world, given it's online and anyone can access it. Now, uh, these efforts include massive open online courses, a.k.a. MOOCs, um, that will be launched on the EDX platform. Uh, these will be short courses as well as entirely online degree programs. Now, this is certainly not the first African university to offer MOOCs online, uh, even though they'll be the first on the Harvard and MIT-backed EDX platform, which was established in 2012. Um, I, I've certainly seen courses uh, being offered by the University of Cape Town, for example, and Coursera. However, it's the scale of this particular effort uh, on Vitz's part that seems to trump anything currently out there at the moment. The first three MOOCs on the EDX platform uh, will be available within the next six months, apparently. Uh, they'll be covering health sciences, engineering, as well as project management. They're expected to be free, although if you'd like a certificate of completion, you'll be able to purchase it for $49. But ultimately, if you're just wanting to audit the courses and learn for free, you'll be able to do that too. Well done to you, Vitz. Well done indeed. Now, finally, French urban TV network Trace TV has announced the acquisition of the Kenyan Pan-African VOD service Buni TV. They did this last week. Uh, they say that the acquisition is in preparation for the launch of Trace's VOD platform, uh, Trace Play, which they plan to launch later in 2016. Now, Buni TV was previously part of the Pan-African studio Restless Global. And uh, since their launch in 2012, they're now believed to be one of the largest African VOD services that offer homegrown content. They'd probably make top three or at least top five alongside the likes of Iroko TV. Now, this week, I'm going to share a snippet from a conversation I had with BT's managing director for Sub-Saharan Africa, Oliver Fortain. Now, among many things we discussed, I asked him what he makes of the trend towards mobile telcos not being content to stay in their lane when it comes to owning media platforms and creating content. Interestingly, he considers media to potentially be one of the biggest disruptors to BT's business. Uh, I reckon that aside from competitors like Iroko TV, DSTV, and Netflix, aspiring VOD service providers like Trace TV would do well to anticipate the moves being made by the likes of South Africa's Telcom, uh, which has indicated an interest in uh, starting to dabble with creating content platforms and publishing content themselves, uh, as well as Zimbabwe's Econet and indeed BT, who, um, by Oliver's own admission, 
has already in Europe started to, to work in that space. Here's my chat with Oliver. Take a listen. It's interesting to note that uh, Vodafone's just recently launched or rolled out in, in, in Zambia. I think people probably don't realize to what extent the West is invested in the ICT space across the continent, in developing uh, technologies, and indeed in, in the leading companies in the mobile telco space, in the fixed line space, even in the Wi-Fi space. Yeah, I think you know the, the conversation we just had about Africa charting its own destiny doesn't happen without technology. Uh, in fact, there's very little today that happens that's either transformative or disruptive without technology at the heart of it. So you've got the same kind of conversation that you should be having around, you know, Africa making policies that suit Africa, uh, Africa trading with itself, etc. You have the same thing in the tech space. You know, R&D is a great example. We import a lot of what we deploy as technology uh, into Africa. There's no reason why we, we can't be at the forefront of actually starting to develop those technologies. We're very innovative in the deployment of technology, you know, because we have to be. Necessity forces us there, right? So, so you find things happening in Africa that are truly unique. I mean, we were right at the forefront of mobile, mo of mobile money. So you guys like Impaza are very early on doing things that actually wasn't happening around the rest of the world. And they did it because there was a clear need in this market. You know, uh, cost of banking, you know, how fragmented that customer base is, et cetera, et cetera. The way they bridged that uh, opportunity was through technology. So technology is a big player in how we unlock uh, our, our potential going forward, right? And, and again, it's one of those things where, as you say, the West is heavily invested in Africa, uh, infrastructure, uh, you know, um, IP the software we use, the, you know, the way we deploy it, the models that we, we use to deploy these things into business and how we create new business models. A lot of that does come from the West. We're starting to see more our BRICS trading partners starting to you know, um, enter that space, and they're starting to import things into Africa. There's no reason why Africa doesn't develop its own robust ICT uh, environment that's capable of export. Yeah, because, I mean, for argument's sake, we could uh, impress as a, an example of really a Vodafone in innovation on the continent, if we're honest. And um, I suppose one can take the hardcore sort of uh, pan-Africanist or nationalist view, depending, you know, where you're sitting, and say that's, that should have been us, all us. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't lean to that extreme. I do think, though, it's, it's about time those sort of innovations are homegrown and home-run, and we don't just jump on board at the at the rollout stage yeah i agree i mean you know we've we've uh, we probably have a situation where you could have packaged and Pesa and taken it a, a bit more globally because you have other emerging markets that look exactly like we do and and that was that was done early enough that you could do that but if you look at disruptive technologies uh, that are you know that are that are really changing the way certain industries work uber is a good example right what stops that from being an african development nothing Right, nothing actually stops that from happening in Africa. Well, certainly there are people trying to, to, to give Uber a run for its money, perhaps the other way around, because at this point it's difficult to imagine anyone disrupting them. What are you doing to keep up with an increasingly data-driven communication business? And how are you leveraging existing infrastructure in, you know, and, and the legacy you have within Fixed Line to, to basically you know, keep those pesky mobile telcos at bay? Well, uh, I mean, it's an interesting question. So obviously for us, that legacy infrastructure sits in the UK. And uh, what, what a lot of people don't know probably about BT is we, we, we are one of the big R&D investors globally in, in ICT. 
so we have this facility called the Dastral Park, and they do some really wonderfully clever things. So the gyro technology on your mobile phone, you know, the thing that uh, switches your phone from portrait to landscape view, uh, that was invented by BT in the Dastral. You know, and there are lots of little examples like that. But if you talk about the infrastructure, we, we've developed technologies that allow us to run high-speed broadband over copper, as an example. So we can, in production, run 300 megabits per second over copper today. We're the only ones globally who can do that, right? And in the labs, we're starting to scale that to 500 megabits. So what it allows you to do is instead of, you know, this massive cost that's uh, associated with deploying fiber today uh, and the business case that, you know, needs a big uptake on fiber, uh, for many operators around the world, telecom included, you know, they have massive legacy infrastructure in copper. You can actually, with these technologies, give that infrastructure an extended lifespan you know, and, and, and do uh, what households need today. Households don't need copper lines anymore for, for telephony, right? No one does that except maybe the very poorest households, uh, but even those. Mostly it's used now for data, right? It's people running ADSL, and they're running ADSL at 20 megabits per second in this country. So we, we have a great solution for telecom, and actually we're talking to them about it. And so w would you go as far as saying that that legacy infrastructure is a competitive advantage relative to, uh, you know, the, the, t the mobile telcos and then even newer players like the Wi-Fi guys and, and other infrastructure players that are looking to disrupt, you know, the, the, the traditional business? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, what, what that legacy infrastructure does, it gives you a ready customer base. But you have to give them what these, as you say, disruptive players are bringing to the market. And you have to give them to, to them at a cost point that makes sense. Um, but you've got massive leverage because you don't have the time to market issues. And you don't have to offer the promise of something to the market because you can do it today. So Telcom have a great legacy infrastructure and they have a massive advantage. Uh, you know, they have 4 million copper users. If they put the right proposition in place, there's no way those guys are switching to fiber today. It would probably happen in time, right? But it also gives you the time to roll those new technologies out to that customer base. South Africa's biggest telco, the government-owned telecom, uh, surprised lots of people recently by announcing a fairly good set of financial results. And, and some of the things that uh, stand out to me as what I believe would have contributed to those results is the aggressive cost-cutting measures they imp they've implemented uh, of late, retrenching something like 4,200 people, a boom in the firm's data business, and, and of course mobile revenues growing, in their case, by something like 60%. Uh, you know, does this sort of thing mirror what's going on uh, at BT, for example? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had uh, BT in sub-Saharan Africa has grown quite dramatically over the last few years, right? So we've grown on average six times the market. Um, and it's because we're growing in the, in, the, in the areas that are the high-growth areas in terms of, IT, of ICT. Right. Um, Telcom, I think, have really done a good job of positioning themselves uh, to take advantage of the big trends. You know? So if you look at the acquisition of BCX, if you look at, as you say, you know, cost containment obviously was a big drive for them. But it wasn't necessarily, I think, only about fixing the bottom line. It was about reinvesting in those areas where growth is coming from. So they've done a great job. Uh, I think the, the, the next piece of work they're probably focused on is to take that across the continent of Africa, which would be a great story for South Africa. And so what would you say is the biggest strategic conundrum at BT in terms of growth uh, on the continent? Uh, in fact, before you answer that, I, I, I'm sometimes not sure what to make of companies that treat the entire sub-Saharan territory as one thing, because I believe you, you oversee something like 43 countries or something like that. Is, isn't that spreading you a little thin? 
Well, we, yeah, I mean, so you know, Sub-Saharan is always a, an interesting, um, and, you know, a, a, an interesting uh, problem, let's say, to try and tackle. Uh, actually, there are 48 countries on the continent of Africa. And then if you add in the Oce- Indian Ocean Islands, that goes up to 53. We also have Israel as a country, which is, which is an interesting anomaly territory-wise. But the approach we've taken is pretty much the approach that I think you're going to find that most people trade to a pan-African uh, strategy, right? We've picked six markets in which to build presence. Uh, but we will build network across all African markets. So we don't necessarily have to have a presence to operate a network in a country because we have partners uh, that we do that through. Uh, we can own the infrastructure. We can own a telco license you know, and service that through a partner infrastructure. So there are six countries, though, in which we will replicate what we've done in South Africa. And so which are, the, which are those countries? Uh, so it's uh, Nigeria, obviously, uh, Kenya. And what that does is, so you have South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya giving you either the, the, the critical mass to create a hub-and-spoke model. So those countries become the hub. You create the skill sets to be able to support smaller countries off that, uh, and you can deal with the regional dynamics through the hub country. Uh, and then Ghana, which, you know, for obvious reasons, uh, oil, massively uh, expanding economy, but also you have... Uh, Ghana has very good ICT infrastructure now with an additional cable being landed in Ghana. And then Mozambique, uh, because we need to cover you know that part of the territory. Uh, and then there's some debate about who number six is, uh, but probably in the eastern hub and either Tanzania or Uganda. Conspicuously absent from that list is a North African uh, hub. Yeah, so North Africa, so the big ones, Egypt, Morocco, Tunisia, Etc. actually uh, are managed out of Middle East uh, because, obviously, as trading markets, they mostly trade with the Middle East, so for that reason. Okay, so okay, that, that explains that. But then uh, get back to the question you know, I, I, I didn't finish asking, which is what would you say then is the biggest strategic conundrum in, in, in growing um, this business, the business that you currently manage? I think it's in I think it's in the diversity that you you spoke about earlier, right? So you have you know forty eight countries that you're trying to um, that you're trying to grow in. Every one of them has a set of market conditions that's unique. Every one of them has its own regulator who doesn't necessarily see things the same way as the regulator next door. Um, and every one of them has, you know, right today in Africa, uh, you know, three four years ago we we were. We were in a better position, right? But with the end of the commodity super cycle, there's been a lot of pressure on African economies. You see that particularly in Nigeria, right, where the co- economy is almost halved, right, through what's happened to the price of oil. That's starting to turn. So that 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 was a big growth inhibitor, and I think that that in the next two to three years is is going to turn, right? But then the complexity in Africa remains, and we need to solve that. As every South African business that has an ambition to expand northward has to solve, that that's the big thing for us to solve. So back to the, the model you described around partnering with, you know, owning infrastructure perhaps, having a license here and there, but ultimately working through partners. How much of that is strategically um, to take advantage of brands that may be in, the, in unique markets are trusted perhaps to a greater extent than, say, BT? And, and my second question, which is linked, is how much of a liability does being BT ever pose in, in growth in, in, in certain markets on the continent? Um, well, to, to answer the second one first, um, uh, it's not often that, that the BT brand or the British heritage is a liability, 
But there are times. I mean, we know that, you know, that um, in Africa there are sentiments toward the West that aren't always root rooted in kind of, you know, uh, rational business thinking, right? So we don't come across that very much. Yeah, Africa is very open to, uh, you know, to, to rich IP and to investment. And we bring that in spades. So if you talk about the partner landscape, clearly what they give us is we're not looking for the partners to give us branding into the market or, you know, to kind of fix any ills in our own business. What we are looking to them for is their reach and their capability in market. Uh, so clearly they've got people in market, they have infrastructure in market, and they have relationships, which for us to replicate that across the markets that, you know, that a few key partners are in would take decades and would take uh, an amount of money that I think we probably never pay back. So the business case doesn't stack. But in the partner model, where you've got a partner who has you know, great infrastructure, great market presence, and we bring BT's global reach and capability and IP to the partner, the model works fantastically. That's just good business. It's not being sneaky. It's just good business. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, look, like Telcom that we just spoke about earlier, um, BT is traditionally a fixed-line business. Uh, I know in your, uh, in your reception area, you even have one of those little red ticky boxes that, you know, uh, uh, London has made quite famous around the world. Uh, however, you know, what are you doing to keep up with an increasingly data-driven communication business, which you, you've, you've touched on, and how are you leveraging existing infrastructure in, you know, and, and the legacy you have within Fixed Line to, to basically you know, keep those pesky mobile telcos at bay? Well, uh, I mean, it's an interesting question. So obviously for us, that legacy infrastructure sits in the U.K., and uh, what, what a lot of people don't know probably about BT is we, we, we are one of the big R&D investors globally in, in ICT. Uh, so we have this facility called the Dastral Park, and they do some really wonderfully clever things. So the gyro technology on your mobile phone, you know, the thing that uh, switches your phone from portrait to landscape view, uh, that was invented by BT in the Dastral. You know, and there are lots of little examples like that. But if you talk about the infrastructure, we, we've developed technologies that allow us to run high-speed broadband over copper, as an example. So we can, in production, run 300 megabits per second over copper today. We're the only ones globally who can do that, right? And in the labs, we're starting to scale that to 500 megabits. So what it allows you to do is instead of, you know, this massive cost that's uh, associated with deploying fiber today uh, and the business case that, you know, needs a big uptake on fiber, uh, for many operators around the world, telecom included, yeah, they have massive legacy infrastructure in copper. You can actually, with these technologies, give that infrastructure an extended lifespan you know, and, and, and do uh, what households need today. Households don't need copper lines anymore for, for telephony, right? No one does that except maybe the very poorest households, uh, but even those. Mostly it's used now for data, right? It's people running ADSL, and they're running ADSL at 20 megabits per second in this country. So we, we have a great solution for telecom, and actually we're talking to them about it. And so w would you go as far as saying that legacy infrastructure is a competitive advantage relative to the mobile telcos and then even newer players like the Wi-Fi guys and, and other infrastructure players that are looking to disrupt the traditional business? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, you know, what, what that legacy infrastructure does, it gives you a ready customer base. But you have to give them what these, as you say, disruptive players are bringing to the market. And you have to give them to, to them at a cost point that makes sense. Um, but you've got massive leverage because you don't have the time to market issues. And you don't have to offer the promise of something to the market because you can do it today. So telcom 
have a great legacy infrastructure and they have a massive advantage. Uh, you know, they have four million copy users. If they put the right proposition in place, there's no way those guys are switching to fiber today. It would probably happen in time, right? But it also gives you the time to roll those new technologies out to that customer base. Tell me what you consider the most likely disruptor to your business. I'm talking in terms of disruption that would see BT not exist or BT be totally obsolete. What, what could potentially do that, do you think? Is there, is there even any room at your strategy table for that kind of question? Yeah, I, I look. I think there is. I think uh, you know, BT's already built um, a lot of defensive strategies uh, where you know um, the media could be a massive disruptor to to BT. You know, teaming up. So if you if you had media, um, um, you know, strategically tied to globally to one or two single providers, um, it's going to drive usage for those providers. You know, very dramatically to the point where. You know, clearly they would be at a scale where they could potentially take us out quite easily, right? So th- th- that sort of thing. But I think I think that BT recognizes that. I think BT is at the forefront of some of that thinking. Um, and I think the thing that we probably need to guard against most is our own arrogance and hubris. You know, we have a, a rich history. It goes back almost 180 years. Uh, and it's been a very successful company for that time. So, so when you're in that position, I think oftentimes you, you, you don't see the trouble coming because you can't conceive of it you know and that's probably our biggest you know, we, we need to stay you know focused on who the competition is and where they're coming from and we need to keep innovating we need to be the disruptors right that's our best defense i think and so should we expect a huge announcement in the coming years you know bt partnering with say the likes of nasper's and and, and multi-choice in, in that stable um, well, I, I tell you, it's already happened in Europe, right? So, you know, BT Sport uh, have done some really nifty things. They're the challenger. If you ask Sky News about BT Sport, they've got some choice things to say about it. You know, clearly because that challenger is actually real, you know. Uh, will it happen in Africa? I think, I think the market is attractive enough. A billion consumers, rising middle income levels, you know, uh, stable policy, stable governance across Africa. We have our problems, right? But the reality is, in Af- as Africans, we are very harshly critical of ourselves. Actually, if you look at our progress over the last 20 years, it's been significant. If you have the same kind of progress over the next 20 years, then why not? This market becomes an incredible market to make those investments in. Well then, thank you to Oliver Fortain of BT for speaking to me. You can find the full conversation I had with Oliver Fortain pinned to the top of my Twitter profile. Uh, my handle is at Masugu Andile. Uh, he shares a lot of great insights that you'll no doubt find interesting. So do check it out. Once again, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is offering you a 30-day free trial to put their service to the test. Now, to find out what all the fuss is about, come on, try it for free at gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. And now that's the week's show, folks. Catch the show again next week, Monday on africantechroundup.com at 9 a.m. Central African Time. I'm Andy Lemasu. Thanks for listening. Take it easy, Africa.